Welcome to the Happiest Ever After podcast. I'm your host, Tatiana Robertson. And yes, you heard right, happy-ish. Because this podcast is not about chasing the fairy tale. We've seen behind the curtain and most of us are ready to hop off the hamster wheel of perfection. If you've ever wondered, how'd I end up in this life? How can I change it? What do I want from life? Is there more? Then this podcast is for you. The fairy tale may not be real. That's the good news. Because life is an amazing adventure and it's time for you to pick up the pen and write your own story. So let's get started and see where this journey takes us. Oh, got a special treat for you today. I had so many questions about my post on Enneagrams, and I am so excited to have Enneagram Ashton, who really should just go by the Enneagram Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Such a source of wisdom and knowledge when it comes to the Enneagram. So I'm so excited to be having this conversation today. So welcome Ashton Whitmoyer-Ober. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, believe me, the excitement is mine. I have been waiting for this because I have so many questions. And I've had so many questions from people as well saying, what is the Enneagram? A lot of people are pretty familiar with the Myers-Briggs because it's been around for a really long time. And there's also the big five, which have been really well talked about as well. And then a lot of people are really... Mm -hmm familiar with astrology. Yeah. So what is the Enneagram and how does it fit in there? Yeah. So the Enneagram is an ancient typing system, meaning a way to type people. There are nine different types. There are a lot of similarities to other typing systems where, you know, it might tell you some stereotypical behaviors, But the biggest difference between the Enneagram and other systems is that it's not about behaviors. So in um, systems like Myers-Briggs, you might think, I um, am an extrovert or I'm an introvert, right? Very behavior oriented. For astrology, I'm a Libra, so I'm stereotypically pretty indecisive, right? So (laughs) a behavior. Um, The Enneagram is about your motivation. So instead of it being about your behavior, it's what's motivating you to behave in a certain way. And those motivations are split up into your biggest desire. So what you want the most in your life and then your biggest fear, like what you fear the most in your life. And those are what makes up the nine different types. But it's very old. It's a very old system. It's about two to 4,000 years old, started in the Middle East. It didn't come over to this part of the world until really the 60s or 70s. And then books, it was very like a a secret, almost like people didn't want to share it because they wanted to keep the knowledge to themselves. And books weren't really published about it until the 1980s. That's when we started to see an increase in popularity And then it kind of mellowed off a little bit, but with the introduction of technology and social media, we've seen people just be captivated by learning and growing and understanding these pieces about the Enneagram in ourselves and in other people. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm just going to shamelessly plug the fact that you actually have a book (laughs) and I've got it right here. It's the Enneagram Made Simple. I was so disappointed I didn't get a chance to read it before you came on because it only arrived two days ago. But when I was skimming through, I was like, 
it's so well laid out. So it's a really, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel like it's a great primer for people. And sometimes people feel like, Oh, is it going to be really complex or hard to understand? But it seems from what I've looked at already to be very straightforward. Yeah, that's why I wanted to create a book like that. One of the top questions I get is, you know, what resources are out there? And I wanted to create something that was just simple and straightforward and gave everybody all of the information about all of the nine types because, and then they can use it as almost like a handbook to reference back to and, and keep and continue to learn. Yeah, and I think these are amazing tools. And I know there's some people out there that go, how can you have nine different type? But it's it's a way of starting a journey of understanding who you are. It really resonates with me how you talk about your motivations and your fears, as opposed to like the Myers-Briggs being based on Carl Jung's theories of personality, which when I was in my teens, I was really into and I was reading all of that. And it was really complex and complicated. But this I felt was very straightforward and it really resonated with me when I looked at my type mm -hmm. because a lot of the things, it just made sense. It's like, oh, this is why I do this. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could quickly take us through the nine types because I know that there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna wanna hear a little bit about once they find out for themselves what their number is, what some of the general trends are. Yes, yes, absolutely. And there are, I'll preface this by saying that there are a lot of different names for the types too, or titles. The ones that I use come from the Enneagram Institute. But if you see other names that are out there, those aren't necessarily wrong. It's just personal preference. Mm -hmm. So I'll start with the one. The one is the reformer. They're motivated by a desire to be a good person, to be seen as a good person, to be moral, ethical, and right in everything that they do. And then their biggest fear being bad, right? Being seen as a bad person, being unethical, or being wrong. So you can see for each of the types how it is split up into those biggest desires and biggest fears. The two... The two is the helper. Their biggest desire is to be loved and wanted, but they also want to be needed and appreciated. And then their biggest fear is being unloved or unwanted or not being appreciated for the things that they do for others. Mm. The three is the achiever. Their biggest desire is to be successful, but they also want to be seen as competent and capable. And then their biggest fear is failure. They fear failure the most, but they also fear then being incompetent or incapable of doing something. The four is the individualist. Their biggest desire is to be different, be unique, to be significant or set apart. And then their biggest fear is being defective. So like something is wrong with them or that they're not creating significance. So they want to be different, but they don't want to be defective or so have something be wrong with them. The five is the investigator. Their biggest desire is to gain knowledge. They want to be knowledgeable. They want to want other people to know that they're knowledgeable. And they also want to be seen as competent. 
And then their biggest fear then is being seen as ignorant or incapable or incompetent. Enneagram six, they are the loyalist. So their biggest desire is to be safe and secure. And they do that by seeking guidance and security in people, places, environments. And then their biggest fear is typically fear itself. So they do have more of a relationship to fear than other types, but they also fear then being without that guidance and security. The Enneagram 7 is the enthusiast. They're the most outgoing on the Enneagram. Their biggest desire is to have fun, but ultimately they're seeking contentment. So they like to do all of the things because they're looking for that contentment and really just like feeling okay with where they are. And then their biggest fear, they do have FOMO. So they do have that fear of missing out, but they also fear being trapped in emotional pain or negativity. And so that's why they always look on the bright side, spin things to the positive side, things like that. Mm -hmm. The Enneagram 8 is the challenger. Their biggest desire is to protect themselves and other people. And then their biggest fear is typically that they'll be perceived as weak, powerless, or controlled in some way. And then the Enneagram 9 is the peacemaker. Their biggest desire is to maintain a peaceful environment. And then their biggest fear is typically conflict, Hmm. not saying that they're the only type that, you know, fears conflict, but it really makes up their main motivation, something that they constantly think about. They fear conflict or being separated from others. Thanks for taking us through that. When I took the test, I ended up with the circle with all of these different, it's like little pie pieces, but some of them were bigger than others. And for me, Hmm. I was an eight. But I saw that I had other numbers that were also really large. And when I listen to you, I think, oh, yeah, like I have some of that in that number and I have some of that in that number. Can you explain how does that work when you have like something on the opposite side that's also like a big number? Yeah. And and the thing about tests is I always say they're a great place to start, especially if you have like zero knowledge and you're just going into it at a very, you know, beginner level. But it really comes down to us being able to determine what our motivators are. So we're humans, right? So we want other people to tell us who we are. Like that's just (laughs) how we are. But the reality is, is we need to dig deep and see what's motivating us to act in a certain way. Also, when we take online tests like that, sometimes we answer questions in ways that we want other people to perceive us, whether or not we swear up and down, we're not doing that. Again, we're humans. And so that's normal. So it's very normal when we take these online tests to receive high scores in multiple different types. It's really just getting down to what is actually motivating us to behave in those ways. Like I said before, um, using like the hatred of conflict as an example, there are other types that also dislike conflict. What differentiates them is the motivation. So for nines, remember I said the hatred of conflict makes up their main motivation for doing things. For twos, they hate conflict because it could potentially harm the relationship and then they could feel unloved and unwanted, which is their biggest fear, Mm -hmm. right? So you can have similar behaviors among the types. It's just the motivations that are going to set that apart. 
So if you're scoring high on a lot of the different types, you could be connected to them in some way, but a lot of times that you're picking up on some of those shared behaviors. Okay. So how is that different then from having a wing number? Yeah. So you could score high for your wings. So your wings are the types that are on either side of your main type. And the point of them is that you will be able to pull characteristics from them. So do you identify as an eight? Eight with, I believe the wing would be seven. And here's why I asked that question, because seven wasn't my second highest number, but it was significantly higher than the nine. Mm -hmm. And so like significantly. (laughs) So yeah, then I started reading about what an eight and it brought up so much for me. Oh, interesting. Because it brought up a lot of shame. And Mm. I remember when I invited you to come on to the podcast, I said in the message, I'm an eight. Don't let that deter you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had just recently been reading and I was just stuck in this place of I actually remember as a child being so distraught and saying, but if I was a boy, this would be okay. Mm. Because all the things that drive me as an eight, all the things that I'm really good at, and that in a way I should take pride in were things that were not, they not weren't just not embraced, but they were actually dismissed and and put down mm-hmm. within my family of origin and the environment that I was in. And I think gender really does come to play. Yes, especially for eights, for sure. I think women who are eights kind of get this like bad reputation for being direct and assertive, right? But that's not what we say. It's more <laughs> yeah, bitchy or, yeah. Right. Yeah. And my sister's an eight. We were just talking about this earlier today about <laughs> how she can be like so straightforward. And I always like beat around the bush for everything and how like I wish that I could be as direct and bold as her sometimes because it would save me a lot of pain or like misunderstanding, right? Instead of just communicating what I want or what I need, I have to like assume that people know. But eights are so good at being able to do that. So just like with the eights, with all the numbers, really, there are a lot of like assumptions or misunderstandings. And so it really is about not just learning about your type, but learning about all of the different types so that you can better understand everybody in your life. And that is why I love things like the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs and the Big Five or Insights, which is another version of sort of Myers-Briggs. I like it because it gives us a way to understand and to step out of ourselves. Like the point is really to step out of ourselves, to understand what drives us, Even the fact like you with your sister, Mm -hmm. like you understand what drives her and she understands why you're having the response. And so you aren't judging someone with the same lens. If I take my eight perspective on what drives me and I assume that that's what's driving the person across the table from me, but theirs is about belonging and love or about worthiness and respect, if they're coming from different perspectives, and so maybe they need to save face in a situation, and so they aren't giving me the straight answer, or maybe they are more concerned about the relationship, 
then I'm judging them with a lens that really distorts what's actually happening in the room for the people at the table or in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I do like to describe the Enneagram as like nine lenses too, Mm. because we all view the world through the lens of our Enneagram type. And when we start to realize that, similarly to what you're saying, we can be honest, A, with the way that we're viewing things, but B, that the way that somebody else views something is going to be completely different than me based on my Enneagram type. So now I have some curiosity. What Enneagram are you? Yeah, I'm a two. Oh. <laughs> I'm a two. I'm the helper. Um, so for example, somebody else that I was doing a podcast interview with is a three. And when we were doing the interview, I guess something messed up with the sound quality. And so she just never released the episode. Me being a two, I was like waiting for the episode to come out. And I was like, this is kind of strange, but maybe she didn't like it. Maybe like she didn't like what I had to say. Her, she's a three. So she didn't want to admit to me that something happened with the episode because of that fear of failure. Right. So we're both looking at this same situation, but I was thinking like, oh, she didn't like it. She didn't like me in the podcast. And she was thinking she'll think that I failed if I, if I, you know, say something about it. So again, it's just like a clear picture of how we all view things so differently. And if we know and understand our motivations and the ways that we interact with other people, then we can start to understand that a little bit better. Absolutely. And I just got to say, you are so likable. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So sweet. (laughs) I'll think about it the rest of the day now. But you are, you've got just this vibrancy around you. And I love that you've turned your, your drive to help. You're actually, this is what you do though, is you help everybody. Like you help everybody learn how to communicate. It's a gift when you know yourself. I think it feels like it aligns with your calling. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So tell me about the dynamic between sisters that are an <laughs> eight and a two. I'm really interested in understanding yeah. how... Because, okay, it's hard to go out into the world and want to destroy things and tear things down if you actually feel really good and whole inside. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really interested in family dynamics. The eight and the two aren't really, I know there's groupings and maybe you can explain to that, but you as as a two and your sister as an eight, how did that go? Yeah. Like before you had the Enneagram and after? Yeah, it's probably one of the most common things that relationships that I talk about because I've seen the most impact in that relationship since having the knowledge of the Enneagram, where previously, I should say, she's my older sister too. So I feel like that, you know, has its own dynamics to it. (laughs) But shout out to all the firstborn eights. Yes, all the firstborn (laughs) eights. So I think she viewed... And our, and our parents got divorced when we were young. So I think she really took me under her wing as my protector, you know? And so growing up, it was always, she fought my battles. She made decisions for me. She directed everything. And I loved that because naturally, you know, I wasn't great at that as a two and a Libra. Like, let's talk about both, right? But then it, it made it hard for me to kind of stand on my own two feet later in life, you know, when I was 
in my twenties and had to make decisions and things like that. But, you know, we fought hard growing up and I think look back on it now and think about a lot of just the misunderstanding and the way that each of us works and interacts with people, you know? So my entire life, I just thought that maybe she was just yelling at me all the time. I thought maybe she was just yelling. And now I realize that she was just passionate and that's just how she communicates. So that was a big thing that changed. Um, just the simple way of like communicating with each other. Um, she understands that I'm, I mean, similarly, like she couldn't understand why I was so sensitive or had so many big feelings. And uh, now, you know, in our thirties, we're able to communicate about those things because she knows that it's important to me, you know? So just like that push and pull of understanding the one side of each other and then, you know, getting the other person to come over and be a little bit more understanding and communicate about things that are important to them. This is the gift of having a tool that can help to heal relationships because it takes you outside of your personal experience and your personal memories of how things were and set, puts them into a different perspective. And like you said, it gives you that different lens. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that really excites me about this. And I had really wanted my son to take this, who's my oldest, but um, I don't know what Enneagram type is the, I don't really want to do an online test. Type. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people. How old is he? He just turned 24. Okay. So that's part of like being in your 20s too, right? (laughs) Yeah. But both of my girls did do it. And I was a little surprised because they're so different from each other. Like they're so different and they're both fours. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm an eight and definitely how we all interact and with that, I, I talked a little bit about how I have a lot, actually, of shame. I have shame also as a parent and this feeling of guilt that I wasn't the type of parent that my children needed mm-hmm. and continue to need. Sometimes I just find it really exhausting. And a lot of the time I find it really exhausting. <laughs> so with fours, what is it with them in particular that I can try to bring out of myself as an eight or how can I be a better parent to a four? Yeah, it's really just letting them be who they want to be and letting them feel what they want to feel and show up how they want to show up and really just meeting them where they're at. You know, fours and eights can seem different on the surface because, you know, one type loves all of the feelings, right? The fours and then eights, are more known to resist vulnerability. So, you know, that can seem like it would be a challenge, but they both can be extremely passionate. They just show that passion differently. And they both tend to, you know, enjoy deep relationships, deep connections. Again, it's just, you know, the motivation might be a little bit different. So as a a mom showing up for, fours, it's really just, you know, celebrating their significance, celebrating their uniqueness and letting them, you know, if they're sad, letting them process those feelings instead of trying to get them to move on from them. You know what I mean? So 
instead of being like, oh, not saying you would say this, but like, (laughs) oh, you know, cheer up or like, let's, you know, let's think about it this way. Really just sitting with them and those feelings, which can be super uncomfortable for an eight, right? But letting them just feel those feelings and process those emotions instead of having to move on from them so quickly. Yeah. One of my girls is also just very loud. Like it just, she has a lot of presence. And when she walks into a room, you know exactly how she's feeling. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the only one that notices this. Like that's just, she's just got a whole lot. And I'm a person who also has a whole lot of energy when I walk in and I'm aware of this, but she just turned 17. She's, she's aware because I tell her, but I don't think she understands yet. It's like, there's this whole energy field that enters a room as she comes in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a tsunami coming at me and 17. Like that was a fun age, wasn't it? Like how much do you, don't you think to yourself, Oh God, I wish I could go back to my late teens again. No, I think you said no woman ever. (laughs) So it's just, it's just like this tsunami, except for it's not one wave or two wave. It's like, it's like every wave is tsunami size wave crashing. And I'm just like, ah, (laughs) it's, it's an area that I really struggle at is this, this big tsunami of exactly that of emotion of feelings of everything. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, it's a growing point for you too to get a little bit more comfortable with, emotions and feelings and being able to walk through that with them. But really, you know, for everybody, it's about meeting them where they're at Mm -hmm. and getting on their level and learning to see how they view the world and how they process things because it's likely going to be different than you. Yeah. So I got to learn how to surf the tsunami wave. (laughs) Yes, pretty much. Right along. Oh boy. That's not the easy path I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm I'm just gonna admit it. There have been times when it's just like put some M and M on the headphones. And yeah. Go for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Oh, so also the other thing, and I mentioned it earlier, I'm really interested in how there's sort of groupings of numbers as well. Yeah. Can you explain that? It's like, are they like mini families? Kind of. So there are groupings and then there are also lines. So if you have seen a picture of the symbol, um, it has the nine different types around the circle. And then there are lines that connect to other types. And what those lines mean is we all have a number that we go to when we're really healthy or when we're in a growth season or growth period. And then we have a number that we go to when we're in stress. So for example, for the eight, when eights are stressed, they'll take on some of the unhealthy qualities of the five. Mm. And that can look like withdrawing, shutting people out, needing to be by yourself, putting up high walls, strict boundaries, things like that. Putting on M&M in your headphones yeah. and going Doing everybody out. Yeah. Yep. Oh boy. Yeah. When they're really healthy, they will take on the high side of the two. And that looks like being, you know, really altruistic or helpful or caring and kind and compassionate. 
So we have these other numbers that we can also access qualities of them. Interesting. And yet I don't think that I showed really high in those. I think I showed actually quite high in the four, which was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, so are those the groupings though, or are those different from the lines? The only grouping is three, six, and nine are all connected to each other. But, you know, like I said, eight's connected to five and two, but five is connected to eight and seven, oh. you know, so they don't all match up in that sort of way. But the Enneagram is split up into three triads. So eight, nine, and one are together with shared characteristics. Two, three, and four are together. And then five, six, and seven. What that means, eight, nine, and one are in what we call like the gut triad or the instinctive center, mm. meaning they receive information through their gut and then they just instinctively respond. Yeah. It's why eights, nines, and ones usually have a strong connection to their gut. They trust their gut, mm -hmm. their gut reaction, things like that. That's really interesting because in the Myers-Briggs, my highest letter is N, which is the intuition. Yeah out of out of all of them so that's really interesting to me and so what are the other triads yeah so then two three four are in the heart triad the feeling center so mm -hmm. they're the ones that are most connected to their feelings or their emotions they receive information through their heart and then they feel about things before they react and then five six and seven they're in the head so they receive information through their head and then they think about things. Mm. So it's like the instinct, the gut, and then we have the heart and feeling and then the head and thinking. Oh, interesting. And that just really resonates with me yeah. as to why I ended also in the eight. Like I know that there's nobody on the planet that would think that I was a nine. It's interesting though, because an yeah. eight wing seven is very different from an eight wing nine. Yeah. The wings can really play a, a significant role in what that type looks like. So I think the message for people coming out of this is even if there are nine different types, like nine different numbers, then you have the wings, then you have understanding with your number sort of which triad you're actually in and then understanding mm -hmm. how your number in sort of a low stress state, how it responds and in a high, like sort of best functioning, how it can respond as well. Yeah. And then you've got your base, which is the motivator. Yeah. It's almost misleading to say that there's nine because often people say, well, how can there just be nine? But there kind of aren't because there's so many yeah. different factors it's really just coming down to nine root motivations, mm -hmm. which are around love and worthiness and fear. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How people perceive us, what we want most in our life, things like that. So you have a child. What age can you actually start to tell what Enneagram they are? Yeah. So really, you can't have your children figure out their Enneagram type until they can communicate why they think they do things the way they do, right? So like we might be able to look at our children and see specific behaviors, 
but remember the Enneagram's not about behaviors. So like my child is only uh, 17 months, so <laughs> she's not that old, but I can look at her and say like, oh, she's a wild child. I know that she, she's like super social. I know that she's going to be an extrovert. And so automatically I'd be like, oh, she's probably a seven, mm-hmm. but those are behaviors. So I don't know if one day when she's, you know, 14 or 15, if she's going to say, yeah, I'm searching for contentment. So children, in order for them to discover their Enneagram type, need to be able to know that language. I usually always say like, once they're a teenager, you can start to explore that with them. If you're looking around in your friend circle now and you go, oh, this person is obviously the nine or this because she doesn't like to have conflict. We can't actually do that because we are making an assessment on someone else based on what we see. And that can be very different from what their motivation is. Absolutely. So my family, when they first discovered the Enneagram, they would have sworn up and down that I was a three the achiever. I've, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. I love owning and running my own businesses. I'm motivated. I'm driven. They would have had no idea that I was actually a two. Mm. And so that's because, you know, what people are seeing are those behaviors. They're not seeing the motivations. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for us to be able to, Mm -hmm. to be able to have a dialogue there. So doing the test, do you have your own test? (laughs) It's currently being worked on. It's not ready yet, but it's close. So, you know, and it's because I am not a strong believer in tests. I think the best way really to figure out your type is to have conversations with people and talk about why you do the things that you do, but also just to look, to read about it, read about it, see what resonates with you, see what gives you that like stab in the heart or punch in the gut Mm. feeling of, oh yeah, I do do things that way, or I do think or feel that way. Instead of just fully trusting the test's results to tell you who you are. Yeah. Like I said, great place to start, but you need to do your own research too. Yeah. I do think that there's there's a combo. Like if you do the test to question, did I answer for what I wanted to be? Or did I answer with who I actually am? I know there's always a bit of a, a bias when you read things and you think, oh, but this is what I want to be. And, and to be able to sometimes mm-hmm. crack that nut open I think tests have their place too. So I'm super excited if you are developing your own test (laughs) because I know that it will be well-researched. You're a highly educated published author who's been doing this work for a long time, which gives you a lot of credibility in the space. And I think that it can be a really great place to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. So I was actually thinking about how I'm such an eight. (laughs) This is, yeah, I started talking to me that way, myself that way. Like, yes, I am not only am I a firstborn female eight, but I'm a Scorpio as well. So (laughs) for some people, they're just going to be going, oh yeah, this one. But I was thinking about how I like to hike Mm -hmm. and I like to go with friends and people often say, yeah, Tatiana dragged me out on a hike. But I'm like, I didn't drag you out on a hike. But I do like to set the pace. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, well, I like to set the pace because I like to get going and make sure we're just going along. But thinking about that, 
uh, I went on a hike this past weekend and it was accidentally several kilometers longer than anticipated (laughs) (laughs) in a lot of up and down. And so it was, it was pretty fatiguing. And all of a sudden I had this realization how I like to lead the pace because then I can set it to my own pace. If somebody else is setting the pace and I can't keep up, mm-hmm. I would be really upset. Yeah. I would be upset and embarrassed mm-hmm. that I couldn't keep up. And so when we talk about the eight and the fear of weakness, mm-hmm. just little things like that. Yeah that I hadn't really thought about before. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, I, you know, I'm in pretty decent shape. So it's not like that's even a real fear. Right. Like it's not like there's a high probability of that happening. Mm-hmm. But it's it's this fear of looking like I can't keep up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's these little insights into yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're going on an outing with your friends. We're going out. We're going to go hike, picnic. What does each friend bring or do in that situation? Yeah. So the one is going to be the one that plans it. And, you know, they're very detail oriented. So they'll have their checklist of things that they're bringing. Yay. Yeah. I want them to come for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I hate having to detail all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the ones. The twos will be bringing like all the snacks, the extra water for people, like making sure everybody has what they need. Oh, you're coming with us. (laughs) Yeah. The threes will kind of make it a competition. So, you know, who can get to this point fastest, who is the best hiker, you know, things like that. Okay. The fours are all about aesthetics. So, you know, they're going to want to pick the place that has the most scenery, uh, maybe with a waterfall, you know, they might bring their own playlist for the hike, things like that. The five would have researched everything about the place that you're going ahead of time, (laughs) making sure that they know everything about it, you know. (laughs) The six is, you know, focused on safety. So they'll make sure that they have first aid kits with them. They will also have researched it ahead of time, but it's to like plan and prepare for worst case scenarios. The seven is going to just like bring the energy, right? Like they're going to be bringing the energy, bringing the party, you know, whatever that looks like. They're going to like show up and be so happy and ready to kind of take on the day. They'll be the ones who like, if you guys get tired, they're like, come on guys, let's keep going. You know, like they're just very enthusiastic and uplifting. Like you said about the eight, you know, they're going to be kind of leading the charge. They're the leader, um, a difference between eights and ones. They both like to lead. Eights like to control the big picture, whereas ones like the details. Mm. So ones and eights can work really well together, but they can also butt heads sometimes because of that. But, you know, where ones might plan it and plan out the details of the hike, the eight is going to be like, let's go on a hike, right? Like that's it was their idea to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then the nines will be making sure everybody is, you know, getting along. Everybody has what they need to be at peace and to be comfortable and things like that. Ah, see, now that just shows why you need everybody in the circle. Yes, for sure. Because that sounds like a really balanced adventure. Yeah. Like it sounds like it's going to be fun. It's going to be safe and there's going to be food. (laughs) Yeah. All the important things. Exactly. (laughs) 
this has been so great. And I hope that people get to learn a little bit more about themselves just by understanding their number. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they'd like to? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Ashton. It's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M-A-S-H-T-O-N. Or you can find me on my website at EnneagramAshton.com. And I will put both of those into the show notes. I'm really looking forward to you launching your own test. Yes. (laughs) So you can get the Enneagram Made Simple which is your primer book. It's not too long. It's really an easy read and well-organized. You can get it in Canada. I always encourage people to support their local bookstores as much as you can, especially post-pandemic as things are what they are. So try and support local. If your local bookstore doesn't have it, you can get it at Chapters in Canada. And I assume, I know you can get it on Amazon in the States. Mm -hmm. Probably some other major booksellers will carry it as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been a great talk. And now I'm going to have to get my friends who are, we're doing a a big coastal hike in a couple of weeks. And now I'm going to have to go get them to do the Enneagram. Yeah. So that I do. So that we're all ready and then I'll know whether or not I'm going to be expected to bring some food because they aren't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And now for the recap. It was amazing getting a chance to talk with Ashton as she is an expert on the Enneagram. She talked about how the Enneagram is an ancient typing system, which is over 2,000 years old. And it's also different because it doesn't focus on behaviors, which is what most typing systems do. The Enneagram, it focuses on what motivates a person. So the motivations that the Enneagram is based on are what are people's biggest desires and what are their biggest fears. So instead of typing an individual based on what they do, which is behavior, It types individuals based on why they do it, which is their motivation. So how do you figure out your Enneagram number or type, as we call it? In the show notes, I've added a link to the Truity Enneagram quiz. That is the one that I used. They have a free option. You just need to screenshot your results at the very end. It gives you a pie chart and the largest wedge is your number. That said, Ashton spoke about how quizzes aren't the be all and end all. Sometimes we respond with who we wish we were rather than who we are. And that's definitely going to sway your results. So spend some time, do a little bit more research, go online, follow Ashton. She has a great account. Read books or read her book. Whatever resonates with you, maybe that's really your number, regardless of what a quiz says. So explore what you think you are and maybe have conversations with people that you trust and that you think really know you. But whatever number you come out as, remember, Each number has its own unique gifts and your number doesn't define you. It's a way to have a deeper understanding of yourself and others. I love that Ashton described the Enneagram as a lens. We view the world through the lens of our Enneagram type and others view the world through theirs. And when we understand that, we can have a deeper understanding and connect with the others in our life because we understand their lens a bit better. And if your Enneagram type is wildly different from someone you love, It doesn't mean you can't have a wonderful and loving relationship. It just means that you're different. 
But what I love about the Enneagram, and I'm sure by now you can tell that I'm totally obsessed with it, is that the Enneagram is a tool that you can use to help you see things from another perspective. So like I said, I was thrilled to have Ashton on today and I have so many more amazing guests who will be coming on the podcast. So I'm going to ask you right now, make sure to click the follow button so that you don't miss an episode. And it would also mean the absolute world to me if you would leave a review. Apple and Spotify absolutely love it when you rate and review the podcast and that helps them share the podcast with others. But I also encourage you to share this episode with someone that you think would find the Enneagram interesting. All you have to do is you hit the three dots on the podcast page and click share. So you can send it to family and friends. You can send it through text or you can copy the link and send it to them. Personally, I think having a conversation about the Enneagram at this summer's barbecues is a lot more interesting than sports, but that's just me. Uh, Maybe it could be an add-on if you love having the sports conversation still. Anyway, I hope that you have the most beautiful week and I am sending you so much love on your day.